and happy Monday. I'm really excited to be sharing this episode with you because it's about a topic that I think has been really popular and kind of like in mainstream media and it's there's also a lot of confusion around it. Before I recorded this episode, I will be honest, I did not even know ketamine was legal in the United States. I thought maybe it was just legal in New York and only for therapy purposes. I did not know that it could be prescribed by a psychiatrist um, in any of the 50 states and be used in psychotherapy sessions. So that was news to me. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to share this episode with Ari, with all of y'all, so that you can learn a little bit more about psychedelic-assisted therapy I think it's really, really fascinating. I personally am a huge proponent of psychedelic-assisted therapy if um, traditional therapy and traditional medication hasn't been working. Hasn't been working. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to get all of y'all's thoughts and hopefully I'll do an episode, a uh, part two episode with Ari soon to talk more about like plant medicine and ayahuasca retreats and things like that. But for now, we just talk about ketamine assisted therapy in this episode or for like for the most part and it was a fascinating discussion and already super cool. So, I hope you enjoy and yeah, here's the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace and the City. Today, I'm so excited to be here with Ari Barinsky, who is a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist practicing psychedelic-assisted therapy. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Zoe. So why don't you start off with telling me a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from? How old are you? Where do you currently live? What do you do? What's your story? All right. Um... I grew up in New Jersey, and I um, specifically grew up in uh, an area of New Jersey that's quite rural, so I grew up next to a horse farm, Nice. Um, played in the woods a lot as a kid, and I um, attended uh, college in the South. Um, in high school, I was very interested in uh, languages and history, mm -hmm. so I studied Spanish. Um, I ended up studying Spanish in college, and I also studied philosophy. I went oh, to cool. I went to Vanderbilt um, oh, yeah. for undergrad in Nashville. Have you been to Nashville to visit Vanderbilt nice. <laughs> on, on college tours? <laughs> nice. I almost uh, went there actually. Yeah, Nashville's Nashville's great. I had a wonderful undergraduate experience and I didn't even know it at the time, but I went to, um, I chose Vanderbilt because I essentially, when I was a freshman, I had a friend who was a senior. And mm -hmm. so, um, it was a really smooth transition for me, um, and all my friends. Uh, but at the time Vanderbilt had like the best department of Spanish and Portuguese in the country. Oh, cool. Um, and I didn't know that and that was great. So, um, I ended up spending my entire junior year abroad um, in Spain. Oh, where? In Mallorca. Okay, I, w I did 
my some I did a semester in Madrid. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I ended up choosing this program. Uh, Wait, that, you were in Mallorca? Yeah, that's yeah. sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so much cooler. There were, there were only um, there were only two uh, American universities that had programs in Mallorca, and Vanderbilt was one of them, and Holy Cross was the other. And there were only three students, my friend and I, and then another Vanderbilt student. There were three of us from Vanderbilt, and then there were a bunch of students from Holy Cross. Um, And essentially the only way that you would have a a collaboration going on is if you had somebody at your, a faculty member that was interested in Catalan, essentially. And um, we happen to have one of those faculty members. So he he set up this whole, um, like we enrolled it was a very different kind of study abroad program because most of the time you're like, like we enrolled as like full-time students, students of, you that know, university. of that university yeah. yeah, called the university of the Balearic islands. Uibe. That's so cool. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Um, and you know, no, almost no American tourists were there at the time. And sort of, uh, I was doing a host day. And so, um, I came back from that year, uh, very, very fluent in, um, in, Castellano and like you know Castilian Spanish and then I had also picked up some Catalan as well mm-hmm. um, and I finished school and joined the Peace Corps uh, and lived um, for a little over two years in El Salvador where I was a my title was rural health and sanitation volunteer um, and uh, you know that would sort of I could do a whole episode on the Peace yeah. Corps experience but um, what I've what I've come to learn is that when you're a Peace Corps volunteer, um, you're essentially a, an international social worker. It's pretty much yeah. like what you're doing. Um, some of the uh, volunteers that I was there with were a little confused about that. They kind of thought that we were there to do like hardcore development work, like you know, international development work and foreign aid kind of work. And truthfully, that wasn't really a thing for like a 22-year-old you know, out of college with like not a lot of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very transformative experience for me, and I came back to uh, the New York, New Jersey area and um, started uh, volunteering at an immigrant resource center in New Jersey and quickly realized that uh, in order to continue to work with the Spanish-speaking population, I would have to become an immigration lawyer because al- almost every other person who called or showed up to the immigrant resource center wanted to talk to the immigration lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. And I had studied philosophy and I was kind of like, it had been on my radar to go to law school because what the hell else are you going to do with a philosophy degree? Um, and so I did uh, start a, a law school program at a specific school in New York that has a great like immigration justice clinic. Um, and about six weeks in, I dropped out. And uh, the sort of, uh, the, the depression that I was experiencing without knowing that I was experiencing it, sort of like all just sort of, coalesced and really Mm -hmm. started to sink in for me um and i was completely lost because i had been on this sort of uh train this trajectory um for however many years and then and then i was very uh lost and aimless and living in new york um and none of my friends my friends just had like jobs right because they didn't do the peace corps and they didn't just drop out of law school so i was super super lost. Um, I accepted a job to teach Spanish at my, the high school that I attended. And then I broke that contract. I also, I was just sort of like, what, what do I want? Who am I? What's going on here? And, um, you know, struggling a lot with, you know, my first like major depressive episode. And then I found my way to social work. Um, 
and uh, went to Columbia uh, mm-hmm. and made it through that program, had some beautiful uh, internship experiences, and finally um, landed. Uh, I worked at a middle school for a year after uh, grad school, um, and then I made my way to a private practice in Queens working with a largely Spanish-speaking population. I was working for an Argentinian psychiatrist um, and sort of cut my teeth there as a, as, a, as a family therapist and also, you know, working with um, kids and adults and um, a really diverse um, client population. And uh, during the pandemic, that, that, uh, the area where that clinic is located was really, really hit very hard. Mm-hmm. And um, the clinic itself kind of, um, it didn't really fall apart, but the, the, the energy shifted in such a way that a lot of us knew that it was time to just move away essentially. And so, um, I, I had already had a, a private practice on the side with a psychiatrist in, in this neighborhood in, in Greenpoint, um, where I live. And so I just took it over, um, myself and here we are right now in the new office that I'm in. Yeah. This is, I gotta say really nice office and it's cool. This, honestly, I don't think I've been in a therapy office since pre COVID in my therapist's office in the West village. Wow. Yeah. Welcome. Wow. That's weird thing to think about it was like this is such a, an aside but i'll never forget it was like right after kobe bryant died that was probably like the last time i was in a therapy office and i was talking about that wow that was a time, sad time that was a really that was like so symbolic of how the rest of the year was oh absolutely it yeah. was like an ominous like something well, off I, something's 2020 is not gonna go as expected yeah i remember it very well. Yeah. Anyways, so, did when you, because you mentioned that like you had your first depressive episode right before you started social work. Mm-hmm. Was that at all, did that play into your decision at all to pursue social work or was it more of like a hindsight being 2020? Yeah. Oh, wow. Curiously, it, uh, what happened was I started to see a therapist actually for the first time then and didn't go deep into the therapeutic process, but it did sort of open me up to the work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I was just thinking and talking a lot about how I um, wanted to keep uh, waking up and have feeling something like the way I was, I had felt when I was in El Salvador doing really meaningful work uh, boots on the ground work. And so I started to look on the, um, return Peace Corps volunteer, like list serve job. And I saw that there were like two different opportunities in New York. Um, and I applied for a job and got it. And that was at a counseling center working with uh, young adults with developmental disabilities, intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being my first job in the field, essentially of social work as a caseworker, you know, without a license. And, then I started to walk around people's offices and I saw that they had this title, you know, LMSW or LCSW. And I was like, oh, what's that? And then they, you know, it became clear. I was really, I, I, once I found the field of social work, I knew that I had to go get a license. And Got it. So that's kind of how it went. And then you knew you wanted to do clinical or did that come later? No, I just knew that I wanted to keep working with um, a Spanish-speaking population principally in in New York City, which mm-hmm. wasn't going to be hard to do Yeah, um, no matter what you know route I, I, I eventually would take. 
And okay, that's that's so interesting. Yeah, and my my first internship was at a senior citizen community center in uh, Brownsville, um, Brooklyn, and um, it it I I showed up to Columbia School of Social Work you know, saying that I wanted to work with like Spanish speaking kids. Cause that's what I was really comfortable doing. I'd been doing a lot of that in El Salvador and they were like, Oh, okay. And they essentially put me in a placement with geriatric, <laughs> mostly black and Caribbean, you know, yeah. seniors. And, uh, so at first I was like, this isn't going to work. This is not, you know, this is not where my sort of like skills are mm-hmm. and my interest is in the field. And, um, after about you know two or three weeks though i realized that there was a lot of um incredible work to do uh, with that population and um was there any overlap because like i mean i just am thinking of my grandma and talking to her it's like so she forgets a lot of things like it's you know almost like taking care of a child we yeah this was so this was a senior citizen community center not a nursing home Mm. And so a lot of the se- most of the seniors showed up every day and just live in the community, essentially. Some of them live in the buildings that are attached to the center. This is um, a nonprofit that's, that's funded by DIFTA, the Department for the Aging. Um, and so, you know, I, my supervisor was not a social worker. There were no other social workers wow. uh, like around. And they were just basically like, hey, just figure out how to like, you know, be of service to the seniors um, and it ended up, it was very beautiful. Like eventually I was like spending time, there was like a, a, a pool room where it was like mostly men. And then there was like the dining area. And then there was like the Caribbean population, Spanish speakers playing domino. And so I was sort of bouncing around, just getting to know people, right. Just actually sort of, um, doing social work without being, you know, having it be particularly clinical and, mm-hmm. you know, outside of, um, outside of the medical model, right? We're just sort of showing up and, and essentially getting to know people and finding out what sort of services they might want to access, essentially. And then eventually, um, word got around that, you know, I, that there was a Spanish speaker working there and then Spanish-speaking seniors started to show up and bring me all their paperwork that was in English. And oh, I cool. would sort of sit there and eventually there was kind of like a line of people just waiting to get, you know, free uh counseling and Mm -hmm. and sort of you know and because you know unbelievably there were no spanish-speaking staff in this area that um turns out there are a lot of you know (laughs) a lot of seniors that needed needed help and needed those services so um yeah it was a super beautiful experience um and i don't regret you know for a second not getting getting the internship i thought i wanted to get yeah and so now i mean we're sitting here in your private practice which is focused on psychedelic assisted therapy a little bit of a pivot yeah so i guess i'm debating yeah i guess like before going into like what exactly psychedelic assisted therapy is because i'm sure a lot of people listening either haven't heard of it have heard of it but didn't know it was legal like a lot of questions but how did you learn about psychedelic assisted therapy and what attracted you to that as like a clinician yeah it's um i will try not to jump around too much we'll we'll we'll, we'll do i'll try we'll do uh some chronology here um which is interesting because when i 
when I do an intake with a client, I give them a choice of whether they want to start with the present and move back in time or whether they want to start with the past, essentially, and move forward. forward. Hmm. And I've found over the years that the more acute a person's symptoms are, the more likely they want to start in the present, right? Because it's I'm like... I'm going to use this in my... <laughs> in my... Talking yeah, to my it's clients. good. Yeah. It's good shit. Um, and so, uh, you know, so I'll... I'll kind of do the opposite though because I'm actually pretty stable right now, th- th- <laughs> thankfully. Um, just to clear that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, w- when I was a teenager, I started to smoke weed and, um, you know, had no idea. I knew that it was fun and helped me all this was happening on an unconscious level, right? It was, I wasn't a 15 year old being like, I'm smoking marijuana because it, you know, has clinical benefits. Yeah. Because like, actually I've been repressing a lot of anxiety and this helps me just sort of like chill out and, um, remember what it was like. I did have conscious awareness of the fact that it helped me remember what it was like to be like a littler kid, Mm -hmm. like the, 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 the really, the child, the child's mind where you're like Like hanging out. Yeah. And you're just like the world is magical again in in some ways, especially if you're sharing your time with your best friends who you've Mm -hmm. known forever and things are silly. Things are funny. And you know, you're eating two boxes of pizza, you know, in one sitting and just sort of classic stuff like that. And then eventually we, um, you know, mushrooms showed up on the scene as they can in, um, you know, around the world for, for different populations. And, um, we, we tried them and, um, I, I knew that this was something else. Um, I also didn't know at the time at all, of course, that this was, uh, I didn't know how and why it was beneficial, you know, essentially, but, um, but I, really valued and appreciated those experiences that I had, especially in nature with friends. Um, and just kind of as an aside, it's related. I, the first time I ever bought, um, you know, psilocybin containing mushrooms, I, it was in Amsterdam. Um, so I wasn't of age technically to buy them cause you have to be 18 or you had to be 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was 15 and I was, uh, my mother was a professional tennis player. And so she had me, she had me playing. Well, she encouraged me to do these programs when I was in high school over the summer where you'd play local tennis tournaments in, in Europe, in different European countries. And my friend and I chose the trips that took us to Amsterdam both times. (laughs) And that was not a coincidence, right? We were like, wait, isn't Amsterdam the place where weed is legal? Yeah. And sure enough, also I had no idea, but I got there and I was like, wait, there's something called a smart shop and you can go in and buy, uh, at the time they were selling wet magic mushrooms and, um, I, they, I bought them, you know, being 15 and, um, so, and, and we took them, uh, in our hotel room and, uh, that was to this day, that was the most, um, powerful, beautiful, uh, fun uh, psychedelic experience I've ever had, I would say, without a doubt. Um, and um, and and twenty years later, that was I was fifteen. When I was thirty-five, I went to Amsterdam, or I guess 
whatever, maybe I was 16 and I was 36 because I'm 37 now. Last, a year ago today, or a year ago yesterday, I went to Amsterdam for a training with mushrooms, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult who's doing this for uh, his profession. And so... Um, full circle. Full circle. Yeah, really, really beautiful experience there. Um, and... Uh, so, you know, so that was my first intro as a, as a kid to, you know, psychedelics without really knowing what was going on. Also, probably worth noting, I did have an experience um, with mushrooms when I was the end of high school and I ate too much. And I um, had a sort of like a classic bad trip, a version of a classic bad trip. And then I didn't eat them for, for 10 years mm-hmm. um, because I was too scared. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so that was my first foray into sort of that world. Um, And then uh, around the time that I dropped out of law school and got, you know, started to feel really, really depressed, I also started to experience chronic lower back pain. And um, it was horrible. Uh, And it just wouldn't go away. And it ended up, so from 26 to 32, I had... Uh, horrible chronic lower back pain that um, led me to consider and try just every option under the sun, you know, traditional and alternative therapies until I was looking for a psychotherapy office in Greenpoint and the building manager, when I was, you know, looking at different offices, we were talking for about 10 minutes and he, and I mentioned something about the back pain and I, I think I had mentioned something about um, having read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, and he just stopped me and he was like, well, you've tried ayahuasca, right, for your back pain. And he said it in such a way, he was expecting me to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, N- not only did I not say yes, but I actually didn't really know what it was. Oh, interesting. You know, this was f- this was five years ago. I had heard of it, but I certainly didn't have any friends who, you know, had ever been in an ayahuasca ceremony or anything. So um, I was like, no, I... I definitely have. And he goes, oh, okay, well, just go to Blue Morpho, you know? And this is, he said it, and he said it in such a way that it landed, and I knew it, I, I knew immediately that I was going to go to this place. It was a very weird um, experience. Um, and so I did go to Peru in 2018 for the first time to drink ayahuasca, and that was the the, the catalyst for ending the psychophysiological pain cycle that I was that I was stuck in um, wow. to say okay. the least so that opened me up in, in in many many ways it was also the year that Michael Pollan's book came out how to change your mind which I read in like one sitting I remember on an airplane I just I need to write this book down. I, I haven't heard of it yeah there's a Netflix series right now mm. um, it's n- not on my shelf over there but a couple other important books are um, that inspired me and um, it made a really big splash and it sort of uh, really completely put this stuff on the map. So basically what, what Michael Pollan did, Michael Pollan is a very serious investigative journalist and, you know, does like method acting for writing. So he he was usually writing about food and like agriculture and whatever it was. And then he would like just go and like live with the farmers. I mean, he really like sort of, you know, he does the thing that he ends up writing about. So when he wanted to write a book about psychedelic research for mental health, he ends up trying all the He's different like, medicines. All yeah, okay. as many different medicines as he can, right, as he can access legally uh, and, and underground. And then he writes about them. Um, and he focuses a lot on the, you know, the real research, um, university-level research that was going on um, with different 
psychedelic medicines. Um, and all of a sudden this book is out and he's already a very, very respected journalist. You know, he's not a hippie. He's not like, you know, uh, have you heard the phrase, um, Jubas? I have not. Jewish Buddhists. I have not, but exactly. <laughs> that's not him. Yeah. He's a professor and he just like, you know, is a super respected, you know, investigative journalist. So it's basically the whole book is just a big expose, right? It's just like, uh-huh. this is what's going on. And the title is, you know, brilliant, uh, I think, you know, yeah. because what really, what, you know, I mean, maybe it's an oversimplification, but what, are, why are people coming to therapy, right? Yeah. How to change your mind, good. right? Um, so that was the same year I went to, I went to Peru for the first time and then I read the book and I was like, oh my God, I can actually, and I, and I finished my clinical license, right? At mm-hmm. that in 2018 and it all started to synthesize and I knew at that point that I was going to be able to incorporate psychedelics into my psychotherapy practice. And I had been working at, you know, in, at, in, a, in a psychiatrist's office for a few years and watching people, some people really not get any better despite being on three to four different psychiatric medications and coming to me every week for individual talk therapy. So I knew at that point that uh, we were extremely limited yeah. in terms of the um, treatments that were being offered at the time and are still being offered for the most part. Yeah, one thing I actually, back in I want to say 2020 or 2021, I interviewed this guy who was doing research into um, psilocybin mushrooms as like a, treatment for uh, mental health disorders um but he's up in toronto so i think it's legal there or there's like a there's a a hub of like psychedelic research there sure yeah and he made such a good point of like okay so ssris have been around you know since the 70s or 80s or whatever and since then there hasn't really been any thing to disrupt the market so to speak so we've just been kind of coasting on like well these work well enough and and like his argument for this research and like why it was so important was like well what if there is something that actually can really is really effective and it comes from the freaking earth specifically with psilocybin mushrooms um like why not use that if it's you know because i mean i'm on ssris and like keep my you know me coast in but it's like if there's something that's better and more effective like why not try it especially because these have just been kind of taken as like um the status quo for you know medicating on um medicating depression and anxiety for so long which i thought was like a really interesting take and yeah i'm curious like what your thoughts are on that and like and also, I'm curious where ketamine comes into play because psilocybin, mushrooms, weed, those are all like plants, you know, they come from the earth. I honestly don't know much about ketamine. I, I know it's technically maybe kind of a horse tranquilizer, but like, yeah, I guess if you could explain that to me and my listeners, because I'm pretty ignorant in that in that space. Yeah, sure. Um I attended uh, an experiential and didactic ketamine training in 2021. Um, I was supposed to go in April of 2020, and I was incredibly ready in April of 2020 to have this experience. I really knew at that point I had done some deeper work in in, in Peru 
um, you know, and I just knew that it was time for me to start facilitating uh, psych- psychedelic like or psychedelic, you know, sessions for, for clients and going really deep. And um, pandemic hit, was, the training was postponed uh, 16 months. Uh, I actually then experienced the, uh, a second depressive episode um, sort of right around the time when it seemed like everybody was starting to chill out about June of 2020. Um, but everybody being, you know, people in my more immediate circle who weren't working at a clinic in mental health and one of the hardest hit, you know, the, actually yeah, the, the right. hardest hit hospital in, in Jackson Heights, um, in terms of, you know, COVID deaths. Um, so, so, you know, I had a lot of things going on that, um, contributed to, uh, at the time, essentially I, I was just hardcore in, in a hardcore state of rep- repression and uh eventually it 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 was like system overload right and i just sort of sunk into another pretty 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 severe depression and what i did was i ended up contacting um the one of the trainers who was going to be teaching at the ketamine training that i was planning on attending as a therapist hmm. and i was like look i I got to try this medicine. I'm not doing well. Um, And luckily she referred me to another colleague. She didn't have any availability essentially. So she referred me to a colleague, a psychiatrist. And I saw him and, you know, he prescribed me the the ketamine lozenges. And um, I had one or two experiences with him working in in his office. Um, And of course it was like, it, it was really hard for me to even just accept the fact that all of a sudden I was the patient here because I was super ready and pumped to be the, to be the therapist working with this medicine. And, um, but you know, nevertheless, I did get a sense of how and why this medicine is beneficial and helpful. Um, he was not the right therapist or guide for me in the in the least and his office wasn't set up in the right way and uh he was not uh the right kind of space holder and you know for for me but i did have the experiences with the medicine and i did get a sense of um how in the future this might even be you know even more beneficial for me if i were ever to find somebody to do it with who you know i could vibe with a little more Mm -hmm. um so I mean, fast forward, one of the reasons that I'm sort of putting the, putting my office together in this uh, kind of painstaking fashion is because I really am trying to create an environment that, w- that really works um, with this medicine in particular, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so um, uh, eventually I did, uh, well, I was able to attend the training and I was able to, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that the, my ketamine experiences um, pulled me out of that depressive episode, but it just sort of ran its course and I made some changes in my life and I was able to go back to Peru after getting, a, you know, I, I was able, I sort of remembered that life was going to go on, but for a period it just felt like, you know, the world is ending, yeah. you know, and, and things are just the way they are. Um, and I did attend the training and it was absolutely a beautiful experience. Um, I was in, uh, I was in, uh, upstate New York and there were 40 of us taking the training and 
the way it works is it's a five-day retreat experience. Is it this, the Catskills? Yeah. That's it's the at one a, my professor is doing. Yeah. It's yeah. called it's called KTC, the Ketamine Training Center. Mm-hmm. And it's run by a psychiatrist named Phil Wolfson, um, okay. who's based out of um, California, out of Marin County. And he and his team, he's like the ketamine guru. He, co- he co-authored a book that's available called The Ketamine Papers, um, which is a beautiful collection of essays from different clinicians and practici- practitioners that have been working with ketamine uh, for many years. And he teams up with different uh, New York-based uh, therapists and psychiatrists and stuff. And um, I showed up and uh, it was it was very much like a an, another kind of homecoming actually experience, you know, for me just because uh, it was the first time I was getting to have a professional experience that was also so powerful and personal and mm-hmm. you know after having done the work that I had done I was doing in in, in Peru um, I also sort of realized that I like I knew things about psychedelics and transpersonal states and altered states of consciousness that the psychiatrists and psychologists and in, in the room didn't know and so it was a very beautiful um there were very beautiful energy exchanges during that retreat, and Bessel van der Kolk was there uh, with his wife, Licia. And at the training? At the training. Wait, that's yeah. really cool. And really cool. Yeah, all of a sudden, I was I showed up, and I was like, wait. I was like, Bessel, like, you're you're like here to teach it, right? And he's like, no, I'm here to wow. I'm here to take it. You know, and, and I think he, you know, he did like a lecture at some point. But um, that's, I was I was like, damn, this is, this is, this is, this is <laughs> legit. Yeah, I'm in the right place right now. Um and I, I was super stoked to work with ketamine after that experience. You, you get an intramuscular. Every, every clinician that was training at that, at that retreat um, received two separate medicine experiences themselves. So they, they got uh, to work with the lozenges, which is the way I work now, and they also got to have an intramuscular uh, ketamine journey. Um, and the 20... What the, is that? Injection? It's an injection okay. in, in your arm, Yeah. And, um, you know, there are many routes of administration for ketamine, mm-hmm. so, um, and, and the experiences differ. So after that training, you know, I was super ready to work with, with ketamine, and I was stoked. But uh, given that I'm not a prescriber, I actually didn't know how to get myself into a situation where I could be working with somebody taking ketamine it was very psychiatrist so yeah to prescribe ketamine you have to be a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner Mm -hmm. and um i was just working still for the psychiatrist and he in queens and he was interested in this stuff but not enough to you know he didn't do the training and i I couldn't be like hey like just prescribe this stuff that you've never tried and you know he so um eventually um (laughs) what happened was i I went to Peru again. I, I quit that job in Queens in November of 2021. And then I went to Peru again and I was sort of in a, another kind of not so, I mean, I didn't know what was next for me because I was like, great, I did this training and I can't even do anything with it. Mm. And I was thinking about investing in an ayahuasca center um, that I found through uh, another person who had attended that training who was who's a veteran and has this beautiful organization called Heroic Hearts Foundation. Oh, where they cool. raise money uh, for veterans to have plant medicine experiences abroad. They also raise money for veterans to have ketamine experiences. Um, and he knew of somebody who was about to sell their ayahuasca center, and I had been thinking about something like this for a long time. So I went down to do 
what's called an ayahuasca diet um, at this beautiful center in the mountains in Peru. And that's when um, I sort of got this download essentially about uh, that it wasn't time for me to do that and I should just go back to New York and everything will work itself out. And, and I needed to get a dog. That was <laughs> what the, 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 the plant spirits wanted me to know. And sure enough, I got home and I found, and like I went to the shelter, I got the, the, the dog was waiting for me. Um, and there's a lot of other, you know, synchronistic, um, stories about that. But also as soon as I got back, I found this company called journey clinical and they are the company that I was hoping would exist. So they're a, they're a startup and the founders are, um, super uh the founders had the idea themselves for this company in a plant medicine ceremony in an ayahuasca ceremony and they're they're pretty open about that and um what they do is they uh therapists pay for a membership to journey clinical and then get access to their team of nurse practitioners Mm, so it's like refer out kind of for that consultation. Yeah, they they are handling the psychiatric slash medical evaluations. Um, and so if anybody wants to come see me and have and do ketamine work, they'll have however many sessions they want to have with me first, and then I will refer them to Journey. They have a one-hour psychiatric intake with Journey, um, and then they get a prescription in the mail. And uh, it's a pretty beautiful model, actually. And, you know, uh, clients or potential clients can also just go straight to Journey and say, "I want to be matched with a therapist," right? So they don't. And um, and that's how I was able to, you know, start working with ketamine. However, this was still kind of like mid-pandemic, and I didn't have an office, mm-hmm. and so uh, nobody had an office yeah. still, and so um, I had to work that out, <laughs> and I also had to figure out sort of like you know, the ins and outs of doing this work by myself, essentially, and all that stuff. And I, and I was looking for, and am still looking for, uh, other therapists and, like, wellness practitioners to team up with um, mm-hmm. and sort of be involved with more of a holistic group practice. Um, and, uh, but, you know, fast forward to 2023, and, and here we are. Um, I've, I've been doing a lot of ketamine work for over the past year in particular, and will plan on doing a lot more now that I'm in this new space, this new office and, and have, cause I used to share, I was sharing an, an office. I actually rented an office that was big enough to do group work cause mm-hmm. I was really stoked about, I experienced ketamine, you know, in a group and I know that it's a really beautiful group medicine. It makes it more affordable and all that stuff. And, you know, I've been in a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies where it's always a group. So, yeah. um, I was planning on doing that in the previous office that I had, which I was sharing, but just didn't really, couldn't really get it together. You know, I'm not exactly like a self promoter like that. Um, my friend Brian says that's not in my birth chart. Uh, so it is what it is. So I'm here in this new space and I'm looking forward to doing more, um, you know, individual cap ketamine assisted psychotherapy sessions. Wow. That's wild. So <laughs> I guess like in layman's terms, like what is ketamine and wh- how does it work? Like, like, what does it do to your brain that, and the, and why is that beneficial in a psychotherapeutic setting? Yeah. So ketamine is not a classic psychedelic. Um, so people say classic and they say classical, and I still don't know which is correct. I've heard people say classical psychedelics. So uh, classic and classical psychedelics are 
always acting on a there it's it's been uh, they're always acting on us on a specific serotonin receptor in the brain five five h h two a okay yeah eight five htp is a supplement that's right yeah that's that's a precursor to serotonin which after going out it's you know after going out and taking mdma or ecstasy you know um a lot of people in 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 that in those communities who go out and take ecstasy and dance they take they take it afterwards right to clarify don't do that i just (laughs) take it as a supplement got it yeah 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 so there's a there's a specific serotonin receptor that in, in 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 the brain and um, the classical psychedelics, LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, um, ayahuasca, and uh, mescaline, um, they're, they're all acting on this the specific, specific neuron yeah. um, or like receptor. It's a receptor, yeah, that's, you know, there's the, there are these... There's this language that, um, again, I'm not that fam- I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with after all the trainings that I've done, but I'm certainly not an expert in the the neuroscience or the neurochemistry of this stuff. But mm-hmm. the point is, ketamine doesn't act on this receptor, and so it's not considered a classical psychedelic. It also doesn't consistently induce experiences that we can call like a trip. Well, we it we can we do call it a trip, but. Um, it's it's uh it's very different. It's very different. Mm-hmm. It, it, the ketamine falls into a class of medications that are called dissociative anesthetics, hmm. and it's so ketamine has been used. It was first synthesized in the 1960s, and it the reason that it's been legal forever and will always be legal and and prescribable, right? It's fall. It's a Schedule Three drug according to the DEA, whereas mushrooms and even cannabis on a national level is still schedule one schedule one drugs means the, the 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 government has decided that this these these are drugs they're bad for you they're going to kill you they're going to ruin oh. your life they have no no medical value which is just like insane at this point of course with especially yeah, meanwhile what is alcohol <laughs> right so schedule three drugs are like okay these drugs have some medical and medicinal benefits well, what would uh, another schedule three drug be um like kombucha? I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not kombucha. That's a good question. What what else falls into a Schedule Three? Uh, well, I I believe actually like most opioids and you know synthetic synthetic drugs as well as stimulants. Like I believe like um, ADHD medication, oh, you know Adderall and stuff. I believe that those fall under the category of Schedule Three drugs. Right? They have to be prescribed. They're like if if you don't want to take too much you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing um and then schedule two yeah i'm not really sure but schedule two might be or i i don't know i, I couldn't tell you a schedule two drug but it. it's easy it's it's very easy um to to prescribe ketamine it turns mm-hmm. out because it's very very safe is it legal and everywhere everywhere ketamine is nationally ketamine if you're a psychiatrist in the the, the most conservative state you can prescribe ketamine. Oh, There's, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, that doesn't mean they're doing it. Yeah, right. But um, it it's always been used. It's been part. It's part of the anesthesiologist cocktail um, across the board, right? Mm, because it okay. has these powerful sedative properties, dissociative properties. It's not the only thing that goes into the the mix when you're going in for surgery, for example. But it's it's almost always in there, and 
uh, it turns out that at lower doses, it induces a state of consciousness that is something in between sobriety and sedation, right? So you are you 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 leave the body consistently if you if if you if you take the right dose. Yeah, you get a lot of distance from the body. The mind gets a lot of distance from the body, essentially, and that's why this experience, you know, in in therapy is um, described sometimes as kind of like a reboot hmm. for the mind, body, spirit system, essentially, because there is a something's turning off. Now, I don't. Um, some people think that you know. Your, it's your default mode network, which is kind of like the believed to be the correlate to the ego, and so th- you know, so so what happens during a ketamine session is you experience ego dissolution or ego death. This certainly can happen. I've seen it happen. I've had it happen personally. Um, I'm kind of used to it, I guess, in some on some level because I've been in so many ayahuasca ceremonies, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's not the kind of thing you want to walk into without uh knowing what you're walking into because we're talking about like you know the complete disintegration of you wow and uh, wait, this is with <laughs> higher doses this is with higher doses okay. yeah these are h- higher doses but but doses that are most commonly prescribed and recommended for clinical depression right for for, for treatment resistant depression in particular interesting yeah so you know so why might someone let, like decide to do ketamine-assisted therapy rather than traditional talk therapy? Or do you, in your opinion, like, do you think it's necessary to be, let's say, in a traditional talk therapy setting for a couple of years before doing ketamine-assisted therapy? Or do you, th- yeah, I guess, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, those are good questions. Um we are, you know, in, in October 1st, 2023, we are um, still in very uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, there is no consensus um, in the field as to best treatment. Um, all, all you have are opinions and then you have, uh, you know, a handful of studies and it's always worth you know, considering how those studies were funded anyway and whose interests are mm. really at play here. And, you know, I can tell you that the, the FDA has approved one ketamine treatment um, pro- product, medicine, f- for to treat depression. It's called Spravato. Are you familiar with this? Mm-mm. So Spravato is an intranasal ketamine spray. Ketamine is a on, on a... Um, molecular level comp- compound level it's got two i believe they're called isomers i you're this now i'm now i'm that really sounds right that sounds right i'm, I'm really, bi- really biology from like i was really not a math and science kid um so this is really outside my comfort zone but the ketamine molecule can be broken down into two sides basically there's an r side racemic ketamine and an s side which is S-ketamine. Okay. And Spravato is just the S-ketamine compound. And it turns out that it just half the molecule essentially is able to induce an experience very, very similar to the full molecule. So that's how 
Johnson & Johnson was able to patent a product that's extremely expensive, wow. that is covered by insurance, that, sci- that psychiatrists are prescribing, including the psychiatrists that I used to work for. Um, and uh, they're having, they're, they're, they're only able to prescribe that intranasal ketamine spray to a patient if they have failed other uh, depression. SSRI, yeah, so you have to have oh, okay. failed two different depre- classic depression medications within the past six months, and mm-hmm. then you have to have an insurance that's that's you know uh, conscious enough or whatever to 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 play ball and uh, you know allow and pay for it essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's its own. There, you know, there. I, I am very. Most of us who who do this work and know about this are extremely. Um, unimpressed with the way that it's been rolled out because yeah, um, so many hurdles. Well, it's an, it's an entire it's entirely medicalized, right? Yeah, and uh, the psychiatrists that are prescribing this do not have the training that they need to know what it's like to guide somebody to be there for somebody while they're having this experience. So that's um, different than the lozenges. It is a different. It is, the the effects of that ketamine intranasal spray are very similar to the lozenges okay. just as the effects to the intramuscular you know session that i had uh, are very similar um i've also experienced i've had intravenous ketamine uh journeys which is actually by far far and away the most common ra- method by which people are trying ketamine um across the nation ketamine ketamine clinics are popping up everywhere including new york city of course but even um in places that you wouldn't expect there to be a ketamine clinic they're popping up and that's really unfortunate. I mean, it's fortunate and unfortunate. Um, it, it, it's fa- it's definitely not the best way to work with this medicine, but um, it's sort of like quick and easy and and um, safe again. So all you need is a nurse. You need wow. you need one anesthesiologist or psychiatrist somewhere, maybe in the building, and they what set it up. What would you go in for? Like a clinic for, just like to get to get a hit of ketamine. So, or like, do you need a diagnosis? You do. You you okay. would you would need to have a mental health diagnosis mm-hmm. or some kind of chronic pain diagnosis, um, and they recommend like a series of six uh, sessions. And you know, they put a needle in your arm and they 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 give you a pretty high dose of ketamine. They they work up to a dose that's going to work for you, um, and then you're there. You know, with a with a with an eye mask maybe and a play and a headphones maybe. I know somebody that I that was well. That's you know even with Spravato, they don't know how to. the The medical model doesn't have any clue really how this stuff is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, how you're supposed to work with this stuff, right? And and so, um, they're treating it like any other patient, right? Who comes in for surgery, and they're just like, okay, well, here's your bed, and the nurse knows how to put the needle in your arm, and you know, we'll we'll just try to make you feel comfortable, which is kind of all they're trained to do, right? Yeah. They're not trained to help you deal with deal ego with death like, yeah <laughs> yeah that's like i guess like similar to kind of my next question is like are there certain risk factors to look out for in people that are like a f- sure sign that maybe ketamine isn't right for them or is that more in the like iowa yeah no no yeah i mean as far as i know ketamine is still not being prescribed for people with um i guess what we're still calling severe mental illness although that term probably not the right term to use anymore but um it's not it's not recommended and it won't be made available essentially for people with schizophrenia and it won't be uh 
prescribed, as far as I know, for people with bipolar 1. Even mm. though there's been some research suggesting that ketamine is safe and potentially effective for people with bipolar 1, um, there's a clinic that I refer people to, and they refer me clients in in, in the city. Um, it's called Field Trip, um, Field Trip Health, and they are doing great work, and they do they offer intramuscular sessions, um, which is actually a really beautiful way to work with the medicine as opposed to intravenous. Um, but they won't accept. I have somebody who tried to get in um, to have to, to help get help with his bipolar one, and they were just like, "No, we don't." We don't think it's going to be right for you could, because it could induce a manic a manic state. Yeah, that's what my guess was. Mm-hmm. It's similar with like schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. What about that? I mean, I mean, I just know like that there are they are instances or have been instances of like people who didn't know that they had schizophrenia. Like it was still mm. um, what's it called when it's like dormant. Sure. And then they you know take LSD or they go on an ayahuasca treat and it. Is so that, right? that is real. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's even real with cannabis. I don't know if you've read about this. It's very mm-hmm. unfortunate. And it's happening more and more, especially with, for whatever reason, adolescent, uh, like teenage boys, mm-hmm. um, they're smoking. I mean, basically they're smoking so much weed that they eventually they induce yeah. a, a psychotic episode, episode yeah. and it's cannabis induced psychosis. And it's really, really horrible. Um, so it, we don't see with ketamine um, th- th- those. We're not seeing those outcomes. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's super rare, and I would assume that it has again more to do with this brain chemistry stuff that we were talking about. That so the the distinct the distinction between mm-hmm. ketamine and other classic psychedelics. Um, so uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen that. It's really safe, and you know they start low everywhere everywhere they're going to start you uh, at a lower dose that won't generally you know induce that kind of experience right away off the bat yeah one thing i think is really interesting is like and and i'm sure you know this is something ta- like talked about it in um those trainings is like the tr- use of ketamine for treatment of people with substance use disorder mm-hmm. cuz it's like very paradoxical in if objectively absolutely yeah but yeah i guess like if you could kind of talk more on that um for context like i i wouldn't say i have like this substance use disorder like but i I stopped drinking in january Mm -hmm. and um which has just made me more interested in the area of substance use disorder and like things like alcohol and like how it is just like very addictive but you Mm -hmm. know the media like pushes it in our face and and the culture around drinking is so messed up um which like leads to these problems so it's yeah it's really interesting to hear i'm not fully sober like i would call myself california sober and like <laughs> i don't know I, what that means really <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh it's like it's, it's like i'll smoke weed and like, ashwagandha <laughs> no like i'll i'll like smoke weed i'll do anything that's like okay. a plant but i don't okay, drink. okay. i basically just am, Sober from alcohol. Okay, cool. <laughs> so as opposed to like fully, you know, um, in 12 steps or anything totally. like that. But all that is to say is that area now is like of more interest to me because of having quit drinking. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's just that whole notion of being talked about of how can you treat a substance use disorder with a substance. But I do think it's really interesting to... For sure, yeah. It's a very controversial topic in the recovery community 
especially mm-hmm. you know a- the AA world. Um, and you know it's worth noting that the founder of AA had his uh, healing and revelatory experiences um, that inspired him to. F- Found big book. <laughs> to, to, yeah, it, he he took LSD. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. I don't go to AA, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But something. this is you know, it's and, and he there was he wanted to, you know, he knew about obviously after having that experience himself how powerful some of these medicines could be, but um, basically he was overruled or something or how, however it it it, the, it went down. You know, um, the the addiction world ended up being you know, full of people who, um, well, the abstinence world, right? There's harm reduction, there's abstinence, right? And AA, the AA models abstinence. And mm-hmm. you, know, you just, you know, you just don't touch it, essentially. Even if it could be more helpful than other, other interventions, it's not worth it. Yeah. And, you know, it might not be worth it, and therefore you don't touch it. Yeah, and, like you were powerless um, to that. Subject. Sure, sure. Um, but um, I know someone who was at the training. I mean, I've, I've seen firsthand the power that ketamine can have to interrupt cycles of addiction. Hmm. Um, and it's the same uh, theory. It's the same idea. You know, all addiction, as Gabor Mate says, is rooted in trauma. And that is also not a statement that the American Medical Association wants to... Um, incorporate right they want to tell people that addiction is a brain disease yeah like the disease model sure sure but um you know it it is and it isn't we can look we can you can look at fmri you know brain images and, and say oh yeah here's what's going on in the brain and this is this correlates to this person's you know addiction and you can do the same thing with depression yeah um but it doesn't explain what turned on what activated right in terms of um even on the on the genetic level right on a dna level um to you know it's 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 a combination of nature nurture right and if the nurture is off in some fundamental way then you know the the addict is searching to uh to self-soothe right Mm -hmm. um and 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 doing all they can to um sort of you know quell the, the the demons um so, uh, yeah, ketamine is, is a very, uh, a lot of clinics, um, if you, ha- if you're, if you have active addiction, if you're in an active addiction cycle, then you'd have to find your way to a prescriber who is comfortable with that. Cause there are some other considerations uh, essentially going on to, in terms of, you know, neurophysiology and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. um, the guy, my, my good friend Kabir, who was at the training with me, the, the Phil Wolfson ketamine training he was the only non-clinician in the room and he was there because he and his cousin i believe they run this ketamine company and he was inspired to start it because he tried ketamine and it helped him it it didn't help him it was the thing that got him to stop using cocaine and alcohol i believe wow and so he was so inspired after that and 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 with with sobriety and life again that he knew he had to find a way to get this medicine to other people and now he uh, still runs um, is involved with the company. It's called New Life, um, and they they prescribe ketamine lozenges to people all over all over the states. I don't know if they're in any other countries, but yeah, his his story is very inspiring, really. That's wild. So, what are some of the things that people come to you f- like 
to treat ketamine for? Like, what would you say are like the top things? It's like repressed trauma, feeling stuck in therapy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I unfortunately everything's rooted in trauma, you know, big T trauma and little T trauma. And mm-hmm. so, um, um, yes, the, you, I mean, the, the diagnosis doesn't really matter that mm-hmm. much is the truth. I, there are, you know, even for people who wouldn't meet criteria for major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, eating disorder, whatever's going on, you know, um, a lot, most people could really benefit from a ketamine experience. Um, because as the, as Phil Wolfson described it at my training, really what it's, what it is, is a guided timeout from normal waking consciousness, but you're not sleeping and you're not in a flow state playing your sport and you're not um, drinking at the bar with your friends. You're going, you're having a very, very inward experience that uh, allows your mind and body, especially body, to relax and uh, break free for 35 to 45 minutes at least from cycles, the cycles, the, 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 the cycle that it's running, right? Which almost always is a direct derivative of the template that was set for you during childhood. Hmm. So, um, so, so on that level, it's no wonder that it's so therapeutic um, because, you know, depression narrows a person's lens for life and worldview and uh ketamine and other psychedelics come in and blows blows your lens open really again and you ketamine in particular a lot of people have experiences where they drift sometimes into outer space or into realms that um can be very beautiful for example and it's it's somewhat common for people after their journey to remember um that uh, life is beautiful mm-hmm. um, or that their problems, the, the, the thought cycles that have been running nonstop for, for 10 years, um, to some extent, there's agency there. Yeah. You know, so cool. it's but like it's, but you're not, you, you know, it's not, it's not psychoanalysis, right? You're not ga- It's not insight oriented. The insights come afterwards, was, right? Yeah. Like with the therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The insights are like, you know, uh, let's try to make some sense of what, of what, you know, you just experienced. And I have had clients who have had really significant, obvious, transpersonal, mystical experiences with ketamine. And those are awesome. <laughs> those yeah. are super awesome and and restorative. It's almost like, you know, in those movies, like, when they, like, zoom out, like, the, the like record scratch, like, zoom out. Totally. Like, that's what I imagine it, like, being, like, where you can just... I don't know. I like I there's sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just like pause for a second, like Mm -hmm. life, especially in New York where Mm -hmm. everything's going 110 miles an hour Mm -hmm. and like think about things and like my values and all of that. But with because of various factors, obviously, that's not doable, but it Mm -hmm. seems based on talking to you and based on talking to people who have had an experience with ketamine, it seems like it's a way to just be like, okay, like let's literally zoom out of life and Mm -hmm. like look at everything from this out-of-body perspective for sure 
for sure. Yeah, these timeouts from normal wait, normal waking consciousness. I won't say sober consciousness because a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are not staying sober anyway, right? Yeah. Um, but certain kinds of intentional timeouts with psychedelics and ketamine included. Um, what I've come to believe is um, basically they give us they 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 catalyze a process that your mind has been waiting for and your nervous system your nervous system is doing everything it can on its own to self-regulate and return to homeostasis right but if mm -hmm. it's hyper aroused then you're always anxious if it's hypo aroused then you're kind of numb to the world and you're depressed yeah and you know these these patterns and programs and the way that your nervous system learns to communicate with your brain again it's all set pretty much all set unfortunately in the first eight years of your life and um then you're just kind of um you know reacting and uh and playing playing those cards in mm -hmm. you know the, the best you can and these timeouts that ketamine and other medicines offer um, trip, they trip up the, the, the wires, right, in a very literal sense. And you get a break. And, and, and oftentimes during that break, maybe not with ketamine essentially because you're so far from the body, but with other medicines that you know, we're going to be working with very soon, like MDMA and psilocybin and people are working with ayahuasca now, for example, during that medicine, during the journey, there is a release of emotions mm -hmm. that your mind, body, and spirit have been waiting and yearning to release for a long time. And that is, for most people, the start of a process that we call grief, grief yeah. work, you know? But I think that's why it's probably, and like, I mean, I'm assuming you agree, but like, I imagine that the maybe the most important important part of the whole experience is what happens after that because if something does come up that you know like if you are able to release all these emotions that you've been suppressing you then have to process them 100 percent. and so my 100%. next question is like what from a therapist perspective what insights are you better able to get um and psychoanalyze so to speak with ketamine or you know with your client having taken ketamine yeah i mean most the the best way to go back to your question about like who's what's like when should somebody try this essentially um i see people who um for the most part you know for the most part i'm working with millennials and um a lot of the millennials who are attracted to the kind of psychology today profile that i have <laughs> are already reading the books, yeah. some, some of them, right? Or they're already aware of what sort of baggage they're carrying. And maybe maybe they've been, some of them have been in therapy before, a lot, but not all. And so they're stuck with the insight, right? They're like, okay, family system stuff and, um, you know, cultural stuff, baggage and, um, ancestral stuff, whatever's going on, you know, um, and they can't find a way to work through it, um, even though they're aware 
But they of, need to work through it. Yeah, they need to. They because you know you know I always say you don't nobody thinks their way out of de- depression or anxiety. You must feel your way out of depression mm-hmm. and anxiety because they're feeling states. Yeah. You know, people feel anxiety in their bodies, and that's and that's why I also have training in you know sensory motor psychotherapy and somatic psychotherapy, and that's another beautiful and necessary complementary. Um, modality to, to, to be working with. It, it's not particularly helpful. It's not helpful at all when people are distant from their bodies in a yeah. ketamine experience, but it is super helpful during other, with other medicine experiences like MDMA and psilocybin, right, where you get people to um, address the body sensations that are associated with trauma and mm. with uh, difficult memories, for example, because, you know, that's Bessel's yeah. book, right? The body keeps the score. So, um so I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, I think I might have deviated from the script. Yeah, uh, like what insights? I mean, I mean, it, it's kind of. So, yeah, I mean, people talk about, well, you know, somebody come in and they'll say, you know, something, 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 you know, my, my mother, unfortunately, you know, that's like a. Uh, Common. Well, it's <laughs> a, um, there's a silly um, Freud joke it's like if it's not one thing it's your mother (laughs) and uh you know it's it's an easy example essentially of uh a theme that's recurring for people and some people are not able to forgive and some people are not able to uh cultivate uh compassion or empathy uh they can think about it you know, they'll say blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, well, don't you think your parents, you know, isn't it possible they were doing the best that they could, right? And they'll say, yeah, you know, it was, it's, they were, but I'm still super angry, Yeah. you know, about X, Y, or Z. And I'm not going to suggest that they stop being angry about that, essentially. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to talk about what it might look like to incorporate and invite some other emotions to the dinner table that's the analogy i always use right and then uh you know it's very hard to do um i mean you know other other you don't need psychedelics to do it necessarily but you 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 usually need some kind of you do need a break yeah you need you need a deep meditation practice or some sort of deep mind body practice or you know pilgrimage to tibet (laughs) or whatever it is right because you have to step outside of yourself uh, on some level to do the deep cleaning and clearing. Otherwise, your defense mechanisms, they just won't let you in, your yeah. parts, right? It just They're just going to be like, nope, or it's, it's still not safe. It wasn't safe to do this work, you know, when you were seven, and it's not safe now, even though you're, you know, 47 or whatever. Um, so the other thing, you know, that's worth mentioning in terms of people who might be interested in, in working with ketamine, it is the only safe um, psychedelic-like medicine for people who are currently taking other psychiatric meds mm. to treat their depression and their anxiety, SSRIs in particular. So it's super safe. It's acting on these other areas of the brain, right. the, the GABA and the glutamate receptors. Um, and uh, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And that's why, it, that's why it's always going to have a seat at the table in mental health. Even when we have even, you know, so I don't know if you know, but by w- we hope and think that by next summer, 2024, um, the FDA, the FDA is going to reschedule MDMA, and so MDMA will be prescribed much like ketamine is prescribed now, except wow. 
it's going to be prescribed for people exclusively with a PTSD diagnosis. Mm. And uh, that's great news, but it's not that great for people who are taking five different medications to try to treat their PTSD because they're they not going to be able to have... They have to first the, wean off the medications. They have to get off their meds. Oh, that's a lot, yeah. Right. So for those people, it's probably going to be recommended that they start with ketamine, see if they can get some symptom relief, get some of their you know, um, extreme, extreme symptoms under control, and then find their way to an MDMA, you know, session or, or, or a therapist essentially, because the, the real risk with, I know a lot of people who take SSRIs, for example, and they'll still take some mushrooms or they'll still take some MDMA or whatever it is. Um, it, the risk of serotonin syndrome is, is, is real, uh, yeah. real enough for, for, for prescribers to, you know, not want to, um, take that risk. Yep. So, um, but not with ketamine. So that's, you know, I, however, it's worth mentioning if you, I have worked with some people who are taking a bunch of different psychiatric meds and it's been my experience that ketamine alone, especially with the lozenges might not be enough of an intervention to break through this kind of firewall yeah. that the other, you know, they're kind of, they, they, in my opinion, they kind of, they're working, uh, in a somewhat opposite, uh, you know, like opposing. Yeah. A little bit. Cause these med these medications are, they're, containing right yeah they're the, numbing emotions totally high mm -hmm. the, the highs won't be so high the lows won't be so low and then we're inducing an agent of, of, of chaos right yeah psychedelics are, are that we're inducing i mean that's why especially something like ayahuasca right like you're you're drinking this medicine and then you know you're having an experience that for for a lot of the time might be very chaotic and mm -hmm. so it's going to fight you know the other forces trying to suppress that makes sense um but not, you know, but, but that doesn't always happen with, you know, if somebody's taking, it, it rarely happens, for example, if somebody's just taking one SSRI or, mm -hmm. you know, occasionally takes a medication to treat acute anxiety or something like that. So, um, it's very safe. That's so interesting. So one thing I am very bad at is cooking and not only am I bad at it, but I just really don't like it. I know this is something I need to work on and I... One day we'll, you know, really buy a bunch of cooking books and teach myself how to navigate a kitchen, but that day is not today. And so I am very thankful for Sakara because as a student with a part-time job and a um, podcast and a field placement, I don't have much time. And I know that's an excuse I was making when I had all the time in the world, but now I really don't have time. And so Sakara delivers fully prepared meals to your doorstep that are healthy, nutritious, and filling. So for someone like me who needs to literally have food placed in front of them in order to eat regularly and keep up with, you know, maintaining a help both a healthy relationship with food and also just a schedule. Um, Sakara has been such a blessing, and I am so lucky that I've been partnering with them for over two years now um, to provide you all with twenty percent off your first purchase. So, if you're like me and are just not able to fit in time to you know make a meal or are ordering out every single day because it's easier but it's dropping so much money give Sakara a try the food's so good I especially actually really love the breakfast they have like really great muffins and things that um are my personal favorite and I also really really love their probiotics so 
two very different things, but you can order them all. Just use my code XOZOE, that's X-O-Z-O-E at checkout, and I'll get 20% off your purchase. So give it a shot and let me know what you think. Um, So I always wrap up with something kind of related to what we've been talking about, but a little bit unrelated, uh, but just a couple of questions. So the first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? I mean... It's, I guess it's having lost my father when I was super young, you know, this sort of original big T trauma that, um, totally, you know, rerouted my life in so many ways. Um, and you know, I don't know, I was just listening to this Gabor Mate podcast where he was really, he was pushing this idea that you don't want to chalk up everything you are in the present to your trauma you don't you want to he wants to have people thinking you could do that anyway he's like we're talking to some comedian he's like you could be funny anyway you didn't need to make your mother laugh all the time you know yeah would you would have been funny or whatever so i'm not saying that i wouldn't be a strongish person now but um i certainly have uh have a different lens uh than 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 i would have had um Mm -hmm. and i don't know i I can't say at all whether I, i would say it's unlikely that i would be doing the kind of work that I'm doing and have having had some of the, you know, extremely, extremely beautiful experience I've had with plant medicines, um, had it not been for, you know, essentially, uh, being on this journey of, um, having lost a parent at a, at a, at a young age. Do you feel like doing these types of medicines has like made you feel closer to him in any way? Oh yes. That's cool. would that will have to be a conversation for yeah. <laughs> another, another I know, episode. I have there's a lot a, of questions about ayahuasca and soul. Oh side, yeah. We'll we do can a save. Follow up episode. Yeah. There's a, that's, that's exactly where, I mean, you know, that's where the conversation gets, would, will get um, a little weirder and a little, <laughs> a little more mystical. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that on pause sure. for, for next time. Uh, next question. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? I guess, I, don't, I guess yes and no. I think I think mostly yes, but it's also more likely that we'll never know. So sort of like the tree falls in the forest doesn't make a sound. It's like okay, well, it happens for a reason, but you never know. Does it matter? That kind of thing. But um, I have had many many experiences of sort of class classical like synchronicity in life. Synchronicity being this like you know Jung coined the term and wrote about it a lot. Um, The idea that events are a causal but they're actually entirely related somehow right so so there's some sort of something going on that's it couldn't be coincidence right some some you know reductive scientific you know materialist reductivist is going to say that's called a coincidence and then i I have i've had i've had way too many experiences like that to know that 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 it's that simple yeah i think like when i think about it i think of the butterfly effect it's Mm -hmm. like if i hadn't turn this on this one street and scary like, movie by the way Did you see that movie no ashton kutcher don't watch it it's very scary okay is that like what effect. it's based off of i thought yeah i know it's i like, mean it's, it's pretty good it's like, i think it's, it's like relative relativity is like what it, uh-huh. the real term is but yeah. i like the butterfly effect but um yeah like even with like the whole i mean this is this is getting therapist like a therapist 
I'm feeling like the client right now, but <laughs> well, you're oh. in my office. <laughs> yeah, in the I'm medicine. Really, nook. I'm really like making myself at home here. Like oh, Zoe has not you. taken any ketamine. I know. Today, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, or ever to clarify, but yeah. I, that's not to say I'm not opposed. Um, no, but like the whole reason I went to Austin to begin with was like I was like in, kind of in a fight with my family and just like really sad, and mm-hmm. so I was like, "Fuck it, I'm moving to Austin." Like I'm. Like, didn't tell anyone. It was really random, but it changed my life for the better. And mm. I'm like, things like that. I don't know. I I go back and forth because obviously there's the perspective of like saying, oh, everything just happens for a reason. Like reduces like, okay, racism. Did that happen for a reason? I'm like, mm. Mm, no. Mm. Or like the Holocaust. Like there's some things. Mm. Or it, I stopped asking that question in the pandemic. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like. Totally. Yeah. Like this is a really awful time to be like, so do you think like. This virus thing is like, I mean, but now looking back, you know, totally. I do yeah. think it caused people to pause. But yeah, that's a tangent. On the, on that level, just quickly, one one thought that I had, I ha- I have had over the years because you you mentioned the Kobe Bryant thing, I have thought about the possibility that Kobe was needed elsewhere, um, you know, a- as a person, but maybe even also like just for his basketball skills, the way that, the way that like they put together the team in Space Jam. Yeah. I don't know if, and they go and like find, you know, people on other planets and they steal their skill and stuff like that. So, you know, it, I, ultimately it's helpful for some people to think about yeah. those kinds of, you know, possibilities, right? It's like with reincarnation too. Like, totally, totally. I'm, I kind of, I like to believe in that. For sure. Uh, next question is do you have a favorite quote or a mantra? That you live by. Well, in the medicine space here, um, there's a mantra that I really like. I have the book over here on my shelf. Um, it's called "Trust, Surrender, Receive," um, and it's borrowed from um, the world of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. Um, and I've used, I've certainly used it in my own ayahuasca journeys. When the mantra, the mantra, yeah. Um, and uh, any, truthfully, any mantra that resonates with people that they're going to be able to come back to is super helpful uh, during you know difficult times and yeah. during somewhat you know difficult psychedelic experiences, for example. I love quotes. Um, next question is, what do you love most about yourself? I love being a dog dad. It's pretty special. <laughs> oh, I'm like really missing my dog right now. It's really. I'm seeing her next weekend, so thank God. But she's gotten really fat because my parents feed her so <laughs> much. And she, I'm like, she won't be able to fit in her carrier. How am I going to take her anywhere? Oh, she's the best. And the last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? Like, we're in Greenpoint, which is a little less chaotic. But when the going gets tough, how do you keep going? Yeah. Um, I find solace and I reboot um in the sauna uh mm. at the at the rock gym and in and in hot yoga classes in the morning do you the, climb do you like rock climbing i actually don't climb oh I you just, just use the sauna i go for the for the weight room and oh. and, and the sauna yeah I, I climbed somewhat recently and like hurt my wrist and oh. that was not gonna fly because i play a bunch of tennis and stuff and it's just i was just like this is this is dumb. I don't know how to climb in a safe manner, it turns out. Um, although I was I, literally yeah. talking to my friend yesterday about how I want to join a rock climbing gym. I mean, this, it's, it's, it's an amazing, fun. yeah, vital. It's an amazing facility, and the sauna is on point. Okay. Um, so, yeah, a heat, you know, solace with heat, hot yoga. And, and then I also... Um, this is an asynchronous. I think I need to join <laughs> this gym. There you go. 
uh, after back when I was working in Queens and I would have really long, really long, hard days with lots of patients, um, I would come back and just sit at my piano. And that was that was really where it was at for solace. So that's awesome. Well, yeah. Ari, thank you so much for talking to me. And um, I feel like I've learned so much, especially given that I'm like going to be in this field, like kind of in this field now. So I feel like I'm much more equipped probably learn more than some of my classes and yeah i just <laughs> wanted to thank you and um where can everyone you know follow you find you yeah, yeah i have you? a um a website um that is called brooklyn psychedelic psychotherapy.com um and then i'm you know i'm also on i have different profiles on uh, psychology today and psychedelic.support uh probably worth mentioning that i am in network with two insurances yeah, which it's important in new york <laughs> yeah so uh, so it's pretty rare that people doing this work are going to be in network um from my experience uh but i think it's very necessary and mm -hmm. um my preferred way to work with clients is if they have one of the two insurances that i that i network with with signa retina and and that way all of our prep and integration sessions and sort of like regular talk therapy sessions can just be, they can just pay a copay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, at this time the, the ketamine work itself is not, you're not allowed to be reimbursed by insurance for that. Yeah. Um, but there are CPT codes now for psychedelic therapy. They just haven't been, nobody's using them because they're going to start, we're going to start using them with MDMA and stuff like that. And we're going to figure out the guy who runs maps, Rick Doblin really does believe that, insurances will get on board because it's, they're going to realize that it's cheaper for them to pay for three MDMA experiences than somebody's, you know, six medications for PTSD for life. Yeah. It, it, it is a cheaper model for insurance companies, but you know, like we're going to that stigma. Of totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. So awesome. Well, thank you again. And bye everyone.